Hi, friends. Hello, it's Rob Z Radio. Welcome back again to the podcast. Hey, uh, this is a really interesting episode with Dr. Craig Brummert. He's a doctor of macchiotomy. Did you ever see Half Baked with a <laughs> Dave Chappelle? Ah, the doctor said I need a macchiotomy. Uh, he's a chiropractor, but this is interesting because uh, I've, I've I've always had back pain. I have, not always, but I've had back pain and shoulder pain for a long time. I've gone to chiropractors, but I've never talked to a chiropractor quite like Dr. Brummert. And that's why I wanted to have him on this podcast, because I like his practice. It's based out of State College, Pennsylvania. You can find them online at brummertchiropractic.com. That's B-R-U-M-M-E-R-T, brummertchiropractic.com. You can call them, 814-777-1558. But he's got a cool story because when he got into chiropractic work, he first worked in Nome, Alaska, in you know a very remote town of like 3,000 or some people. He'll tell you the story as a chiropractor there. And he also has a very different approach to chiropractic work than a lot of other chiropractors do. I'm not going to get into it all right now because he told the story a lot better than I could ever tell you. Uh, but if you do listen to this podcast and you have a business and you're interested in um, talking about your business, you're interested in being on the podcast, uh, just call me up. You can just, you know, Send me a message on Facebook or Instagram, which is Rob Z Radio. You can find me on Twitter and Snapchat, Rob Z Yo. And you can also call my voicemail for the podcast, which is 877. For the love of God, Rob, if you listen to this podcast, you know how many times I screw up the name. It's 814, or I screw up the number. I can't even say name right, let alone get the number right. It's 814-799-0064. You'd think I would go back and edit all that out, but that just seems like it would be you know, faking who I really am. 814-799-0064. Enjoy this podcast with Dr. Craig Brummert as much as I did recording the podcast. Let's do it. This is Rocky Radio. Thank you very much, Dr. Craig Brummert, for uh, having me here today. Yeah, man, absolutely. And you're in your to office. Do this this sure. is pretty cool. Uh, my first time having a, a chiropractor on the podcast. Okay. And then my first time having, having anybody who lived in Alaska on the podcast as well. Nice. So two for very one nice. shot. Very excited to tell my stories then. Before we move any further, before we get into everything, uh, just tell people about who you are how long you've been in business for, where you're at, how they can find you, that sort of stuff. Okay. Well, I guess I'll pick up with like uh, where I went to college. I went to Penn State Altoona branch campus. Shout out to PSUA. Uh, sure, sure, absolutely. Beautiful, beautiful campus there. Um, did that for a few years, decided I wanted, wanted to transfer to chiropractic college, uh, headed to New York Chiropractic College in the Finger Lakes, uh, finished up my bachelor's degree there, and... Um, got my doctorate in 2009 so i graduated from chiropractic college uh march 2009 um had to take my boards which is kind of a lengthy process uh to be able to get certified uh so i had some some time off to think about what i wanted to do what my next move was before i you know actually started practicing mm -hmm. as a chiropractor um started looking at alaska kind of like just it was a sort of a dream, but might not have ever been a reality. And uh, the more opportunities I saw in the the lower forty eight, us Alaskans call it, by the way, lower us Alaskans. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> lesser forty eight. Um, but yeah, I wasn't too thrilled with the opportunities I had um, in the, the states I was looking at: uh, Oklahoma, Kansas. Uh, interviewed for a job in Cleveland, Ohio. 
mm-hmm. wasn't thrilled with any of it. Uh, did talk to a chiropractor in Fairbanks who owned a clinic in Nome, Alaska, which is uh, pretty remote out on the Seward Peninsula. It's northwest Alaska, uh, right on the, the edge of the Bering Sea. And um, I talked to him for quite some time, turned that job down, uh, became more and more discouraged with the opportunities I was finding elsewhere, uh, called him up one day and said, hey, is that is that position still open? And he said, yeah, get on the next flight. There's nobody else here. There's That's no right. chiropractors yeah. in Nome, Alaska. He could get not. Up here. He couldn't. There were no other. There absolutely are no other chiropractors <laughs> in Nome, Alaska. And that, that uh, office was open for like eight or nine months oh, before really? I got up there. Yeah, so... Uh, he didn't have any prospects. He couldn't twist anybody's arm into going out to to Nome, Alaska. It's a pretty. It is actually a pretty rough place, but it you know has its beauty to it. Is in Alaska. So were you like living in an igloo, or how were you? Uh, Man, how were you I practicing? Had one of the nicest setups in town, honestly. Um, and I I was very fortunate. I mean, this is kind of to not get too dark or sad here, but like people actually live in shipping containers. Wow. Really? Town. Yeah. Like the old, like Connex style metal sides. That's kind of like having a trailer, I guess. Right. I mean, a little bit, you know, with no windows, you could probably cut a couple windows in them, but they didn't have like, you know, some people had plumbing, some people didn't, some people had electricity, some people didn't like as a majority, um, you know, the homes in the town were a little bit nicer than that. But, um, not not too much nicer. It's kind of a, a pretty run-down, sort of like Wild West-looking dirt roads. Everything's dusty right. uh, in, in the summertime when there's not snow and ice on the ground. Yeah, that's what I was going to wonder. Uh, where's all the snow and ice at? <laughs> but I lived uh, in a nice little, like, one-bedroom cabin uh, out in the tundra a little bit, like five or six miles out of town. Uh, it was provided to me by my employer, and he gave me an 87 Nissan pickup truck to... <laughs> to drive around which, what year was this that you went out there uh it was like 2011 okay yeah so the 87 nissan um as long as i could get it started it would take me anywhere i needed to go so um i'd very often just make sure i'd park it on a hill so i could like catch it in gear to get it started <laughs> because the starter was like pretty junky but, right yeah. was there anywhere to go where was there to go uh, because i wonder I, i've very curious about Alaska, and at some point in my life, I'm definitely going to visit Alaska. Probably not to live there, uh, depending on how much I love it, I guess. But what is there to do? Where is there to go? And how many people were you? Uh, how many people were a part of your practice that you were helping? Okay, I'll try to take those one at a time. Please do. Uh, I always throw a lot of questions at once yeah, for some reason. Sure. Uh, what is there to do in Nome, like specifically? It really depends on the season, like which there are two of, basically, like. <laughs> Uh, a very long winter and a very short summer, kind of. Um, so in the winter, uh, you're sort of hemmed in. You know, people are all pretty much familiar with the concept of like cabin fever. It's cold. It's dark. Uh, if you don't have money, like to do cool stuff, like have a snowmobile, which they call snow machines, uh, in camps and stuff that you can access in the winter time, you are very much like hemmed in a very small town with very little to do um there's like five or six bars there and uh in the winter time you can always tell uh what where the entrances to the bars are because there's like piles of puke uh, frozen on the sidewalk out in front of it which we didn't (laughs) discuss this ahead of time i don't know how 
No, no, the vulgar the better. Yeah, the more I mean, vulgar the better. Let's go. This is the reality of it. This is not like um, wild exaggerations. That's that's literally um, an identifying like feature of the entrance to a bar. That's uh, crazy. Yeah, so, I mean, there's... So five or six bars in a tiny little town. So the bars are the ones that are making the most money, I guess, because uh, yeah. there's not much else to do. Yeah, and like drinks aren't cheap either. Nothing's cheap up there. Everything has to be like either flown in or barged in in the summertime. Yeah. So probably a lot of the liquor that's coming into town is um, on you know commercial flights. What they do with uh, the passenger flights is they'd sell as many tickets as they could, and then they'd blockade the rest of the plane off for. Um, supplies yeah or just straight booze they just had it. probably a lot of booze <laughs> probably was for sure that's interesting so that's what that's the winter time what there is to do in the mm. summertime there is a road system that pretty much goes to nowhere kind of like um going south from nome uh because nome sits on a peninsula going south is just the bering sea Okay. Uh, the the Norton Sound, to be more specific, uh, which is like a huge bay. It's a sound in the Bering Sea. Uh, so you can't go south unless you're on a boat, uh, but you can go north, east, and west out of town on roads that extend. Uh, one goes out. The road going, if I'm remembering correctly, west goes to a little uh, native village called Teller, uh, and that's probably 70 or 80 miles. Uh, and then there's a, the road that goes east goes to a place called Council, which used to be a town with a post office um, during, like, the days when people were mining gold out that way. Okay. But now it's just a place where uh, people have camps mostly for, like, the summertime. And that's on a, a really, like, world-class uh, salmon and, like, grayling. Arctic grayling's just a type of fish. It's on a world-class fishing river. Oh, okay. Um, so that was... Council Alaska, which is um, the road that goes east, goes to Council. That's my favorite place to be in the world in the summertime. Uh, so a lot of opportunities, a lot of stuff to do out that way in the summer. And then going north on a road, you could go 70 or 80 miles till it just like eventually petered out and became like a four-wheeler trail <laughs> and then more of like a walking type of trail and then nothing. And then that was it. Yeah, but it's all just w wide open country. Um some of it's owned by like native corporations and they tell you you're not allowed to be on it, but no one's like policing or enforcing that. So it's pretty much like wide open, go wherever you want. Just make sure you told someone where you're going if you're traveling alone. Yeah. Um, and don't do anything stupid and get yourself in trouble. Like, because you can very easily die out there. No man's land. Yeah. There's nobody there to help you. Exactly. You're the only one out there. Yeah. There's no way own. to like, you can't pull out your phone if you're in trouble and call somebody unless, you know, there's, like, some forms of communication, like ham radio and stuff. Are there any, like, supermarkets or anything, any kind of market in general? Um, Nome had three grocery stores, maybe four. Okay. Um, what was the population of Nome? 3,600. Okay. If, you know, my memory serves me, it was about 3,600. And it was, like, 60% Native Alaskan, uh, you know, 40% other, mostly Caucasian um just regular old white people, like right. you and I, I think. Um, but Nome originally wasn't like a native village. Uh, it was a, a gold rush settlement in like the very late 1800s and then early 1900s. Okay. And at one point it was 
actually a city, like 20,000, 30,000 people. Really? Yeah, back when. Like, because of the gold rush. Yeah. And now people are still finding gold there, and there's been another, like, sort of mini rush. Um, wow. Because of, like, the shows like Bering Sea, Under the Ice, and oh, okay. Bering Sea Gold. I just wonder, how did they even find Nome, Alaska? How did they find the gold? Like, who was the guy who went up there? Yeah. The maniac who decided this. I have no idea. Thing? I don't. I don't recall that story but yeah somebody put a a shovel in this like the beach sand uh-huh. and panned it and found like that the gold contained or the sand contained like 30 or 40 percent gold like it was outrageous wow like every square foot of sand on that beach today could like probably pay off your student loans if it was is like richly saturated right uh as it was back then it's probably mostly mined at this point i'd imagine definitely is mostly mined uh, but there's still some people that own like nice claims that still like pull enough gold off of it, like you know you can see on the television shows. That stuff's still like very real. Um, it's you know made for TV where they add some drama to it, but yeah. like finding the gold, they're not making that up. Like it's still there. Um, on that sort of same topic, people would come into the office uh, and pay me with gold nuggets sometimes. Really? So <laughs> I still have a couple little yeah gold nuggets from from those wow. days. Wow, it's like the Wild West. It really is like it the really, Wild West. It definitely was at one point, and it's probably still like as close as you can get to to living the yeah that type of that type of lifestyle for sure. The people who came in that you that you helped out, I'd imagine that there's a lot of heavy labor up there. Uh, most of the jobs are probably pretty difficult, right? What were the major issues people were having? Yeah, in the wintertime, there's not a lot of, like, real heavy labor type stuff because, you know, it can be negative 40 or negative 50 degrees. Like, there's no construction. Okay. Or, like, you know, there are gold miners working under the ice, but um, it's mostly, like, local, state, and federal government employees. Oh, okay. Um, that's probably uh, there is a hospital up there too in Nome that serves like the community of Nome and then all of the like outlying native villages. Um, so in the winter, mostly like just people that are sitting at their desks too much during the day, uh, getting See, a little bit stiff. That's the opposite of what I expected. Yeah, that well, was... in th- that that crowd is definitely there in the summertime. Like a lot of people move into Nome for summer for like construction or gold mining you know, building little homes and stuff in town. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those people are there, just not like year-round, only really for a few months. Um, while you were up there, how long did you stay for? I was there for two years, almost like to the day. Um, the second winter that I was there was the coldest winter on record for Nome, Alaska. Oh, great. And they'd been keeping records since like the early 1900s. So it would regularly be for months at a time, like negative 40, negative 50. I think the coldest, um, again, if I'm like remembering correctly, um, was like negative 57 or negative 59. I feel like it was one of those two. Are you going outside at that point? It takes a lot of like preparation. You know, you have to, you have to put layers on, um, takes 10 or 15 minutes to get ready to go outside. And then like, at those temperatures, my truck isn't starting, so then I'm walking to work. And at that time, I actually moved into an apartment in town, so I was I was a little bit closer to work for convenience sake, uh, which was really crucial, uh, sort of a, an accident, but it was good that I did that because there's no way my truck was starting. Like, even if you plugged it in and heated up the engine and everything, um, it's not starting at negative 
50. There's pretty no much chance. negative like 30 was the cutoff. I wasn't going anywhere in my truck if it was colder than negative 30. That's so it's it's so crazy to think of those temps because January through March in Pennsylvania, I'm sick of it. Yeah. And it gets down to like 20 maybe. Yeah. So negative 50 or negative 40 for months at a time. What do you do all day long? I mean, of course you're going to work. Yeah. What I are mean, you doing besides that? I ate a lot of cheeseburgers. Uh-huh. Um, Is there a McDonald's? No, there wasn't a McDonald's, but... <laughs> That's amazing that there's not a McDonald's. There's... I'll get back to that in just a second, but there is probably five or six restaurants aside from the bars in Nome, and they all have the exact same menu. It's like, as funny as this is, you can get sushi in like four places in Nome. Yeah, it doesn't okay. make any sense. <laughs> and then you can get a cheeseburger in that same restaurant. Yeah. Uh, there was Wide a place, variety. Yeah. There was a place uh, called the Polaris where you could buy literally ramen noodles for like nine dollars. Oh man! Yeah, that was on the. That was one of their menu items. I never got it. One of the menu items was a pack of ramen noodles. Well, they cooked. Yeah, they heated it up for you. Well, obviously, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the preparation uh, was the nine dollar part, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, the eight dollar and fifty cent part. Yeah. So there were a lot of restaurants, but the nearest McDonald's was in the airport in Anchorage, mm. and there was there are three flights a day from Anchorage um, to Nome. Okay. One in the morning, one like at lunchtime, and one in the evening. And people would like, on their way back in, just go to the McDonald's that was in the airport, fill up a cardboard box with like Big Macs, and bring it into town and like resell them. Like it was a black black market Big Macs. Like and up the price on them. So you'd oh, pay yeah. like double the uh, price yeah. of a Big Mac. Sure. Wow, that's hilarious. That's how it has to be, though, I guess. I mean, what, what other options do you have? You need a Big Mac. Yeah. You need and a Big like Mac. high school athletes, like trying to raise money to go. Uh, you know, travel to play different uh, schools in different regions. I had to fly. It's not like getting on a bus here and going 30 minutes. Like, they'd have to raise enough money to actually, like, fly their whole team to another city or town uh, to have, like, competitive athletics in high school. Yeah. They would, like, like around here, we sell Krispy Kremes for fundraisers or, like, Girl Scout cookies or something like that. I mean, I don't, but... Uh, people have sure i buy them yeah um they would they would send somebody to like get a box of like mcdonald's sandwiches they put them in a refrigerator and then they'd sell them like for fundraisers (laughs) (laughs) oh my it's just a whole different life i i I can't imagine growing up being a kid uh growing up in nome alaska the the school system the teachers like it can't be as is it as advanced do you think because you can't have the same quality of people whoever's there is there yeah right? i mean i guess obviously you went in and worked there for a few years but to get somebody to move there and stay i imagine it's kind of rare yeah i mean i didn't raise kids there um so i can't really i can't speak i don't want to say intelligently like i had an idea i had a pulse on it but like i can't i don't have a first-hand experience with it i guess i'll say um but there are definitely some bright kids that go to those like those rural, very remote schools yeah. and end up being okay. But there are also a lot of kids that like are made to think that they're pretty well off, like intelligence wise goes, and then they go to like major colleges and they fail out immediately because they just don't they're not ready for it. Yeah. Uh, but again, like that's just the reality of being that that remote like you said they're not getting like the best talent necessarily as far as teachers go to get out there and then they're not holding like the same standards as you know maybe we are in the rest of the country for middle school and high school kids Mm -hmm. 
you know, they, they try, maybe they do their best, but yeah, the education there is not going to be like, let's compare it to the state college school district, which is, I think one of the top school districts in our state. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, a bit tougher, I think for kids, but, um, as far as like seeing how kids are raised in that town, like they are really tough and rugged individuals. Yeah, I imagine they're much more prepared for physical life than most people yeah, are. Yeah. Just the rough and tough life you probably have to live there to survive. Absolutely. Um, like, hunting. what's the average job in, in Nome, Alaska? Well, that's, again, like, I think there are a lot of, like, local, state, and federal government employees up there. Um, and then the hospital brings in a lot of, like, uh, you know, nurses, physicians, assistants, doctors, uh, and all the staff that they need. So that's like that's the main employment right there. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely, um, you know, I had patients that were like real like crab fishermen and real gold miners. Um, so those a lot things that you think of as like truly Alaskan. Like there's still there still is that, um, but with thirty six hundred people in a town, like you need some variety. Yeah, absolutely. They can't all be like crab fishing on the Bering Sea and stuff like that. <laughs> the typical thing that you would expect to have happen. Sure. Uh, so you're there for two years. This is your first job as a chiropractor? Yeah, that was the my first, first job. Yeah. How did that prepare you for being a chiropractor? I mean, did it was it a good experience? I imagine the experience was amazing, but was it positive for your career? Did you get a lot of good practice there? Yeah, so um, when I took that job, I was just immediately thrust into like a management position. Like I was the only per like I did all of the oversight and management for that one office. Mm-hmm. And I had no experience in any of that. Like my skill set was just like um evaluating patients and treating patients. So yeah. I like had to figure out um how to really like run a business and advertise for the business um and make sure that we were billing and collecting from the insurance companies properly. Um, so I was really forced into that role. So like trial by fire, I got to learn all those things, like how to run a business without actually having, having to take any financial risk on my own. So like Mm -hmm. I really got to do that, um, on the, that other chiropractors dime. My phone's ringing right now. I'm just going to silence. That looks like a telemarketer. (laughs) Um, yeah, so it really, helped me to prepare because I run my office pretty similarly now, uh, to how I did then. Um, and I didn't have to learn all of that here in this practice, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, taking, putting the financial risk forward, uh, and then, you know, learning as I go, I'm pretty much knew what I needed to do. So, yeah, that's really good. You learned all that and you had to, and you're kind of in a place where, I mean, who's gonna, who's gonna help you number one. Who are you going to get to work with you? Yeah, the guy that I worked for owned and operated his own chiropractic clinic in Fairbanks. Oh, like, okay. So he was... So how far away is Fairbanks from Nome? Um, well, there's no, there's not a road okay. that goes there. Flyable. So, yeah, you have to fly. And if you're taking, like, Alaska Airlines, this may have changed. I don't think it has. It's only been a few years. Um, but you'd have to go th- to Anchorage and then up to Fairbanks. Okay. Although... No man Fairbanks uh, are on the same latitude, roughly. Um, 
you would have to take like a smaller either private or like commuter plane to get directly from Nome to Fairbanks and those are pretty expensive flights so most people like flying commercially would go um, Nome to Anchorage up to Fairbanks and you know so who knows how long it could take factoring in layovers and stuff like that like it's definitely going to take a few hours yeah and now as far as like Anchorage and Fairbanks goes what's their population is it a lot bigger than what Nome was oh man Anchorage, I think, is like 300,000. It's that big. That's crazy. Man, I might be wrong about that. I mean, the, the entire population of the state is in the hundreds of thousands. It's like, oh, okay. I think maybe 600,000. And roughly half of that population lives in like that Matsu Valley, which is where Anchorage is. Mm -hmm. So Fairbanks is probably then, this is a guess, but maybe 70,000. Okay. Something like that. So you were in one of the smaller parts of Alaska. Yeah, Nome was a, a hub village, but it was very remote. Like, Nome serviced a bunch of outlying, like, Eskimo native communities. Um, but it all it was way the heck out there, like, in the middle of nowhere. If you look at a map, uh, you can look at all the towns in Alaska that are kind of close to one another, and then you point to Nome, and it's like, wow, that's... That's, that's close to nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it's close to the frozen ocean, right? The, yeah. the Bering Sea. Yeah, basically. Um, do you have friends that you like made there that you still talk to? Yeah, Nome uh, was very transient because you have to be a really very particular type of person to live up there like long term and want to like raise a family. And I'd stuff imagine. Like that. Yeah. So uh, Nome was very transient. You would basically hang out with anybody that was around your age or not, like if you had similar interests, uh, whether you liked them or not. So yeah, uh, just for the sake of socializing, because otherwise you'd go stir crazy, you'd yeah. go mad. Need some human contact. It, yeah, exactly. So of the, like all the people that I met, uh, I'm still actually really very close with uh, people that I called my gnome, my gnome grandparents, uh, which were my neighbors. My gnomies. Yeah, I guess they could that's be. right, gnomies, sure. Uh, <laughs> These folks are in their 70s. I don't know if they'd really, you know. My gnomies are more maybe my younger crowd that I have oh, okay. right. up there. But I called them my my gnome grandparents. They fed me a lot of dinners and, and looked after me up there. Uh, sort of showed me the ropes of living on the tundra in Alaska. Um, but then, yeah, there are two or three people that I'm still pretty close with uh, that I met up there. Everybody else maybe has slipped away over the years. And they're still there? People like that you met are still... One one person. Well, people that I met, yeah. There's a lot of people that I still know up there. But like I, I only have one friend remaining who's looks like he might be up there for the long haul. Okay. He got a pre pretty cushy uh, city government job uh, and I think is having too much fun well, to that's leave. The, that's the thing, right? You get in a high spot in Nome, Alaska. I'm sure you kind of just run the town. Yeah. Uh, there are certainly opportunities to advance there that you wouldn't have in Altoona or state college or something like that. You know, like, yeah. uh, you get into a government job there, you're thrust upward through the ranks pretty quickly. And because like you have to be paid well enough to compensate for the, the higher cost of living, um, you know, a government job that's like a city planner or something like that makes an easy six figures a year. Oh, if wow. Not pushing like, 150 or 175 grand but everything costs a lot more that's true which you would think the opposite but i guess that makes sense you got to fly everything in all the supplies and food yeah, and all of that has sure. to be brought in so yeah basically nothing is sourced there except for like seafood so you could go to a seafood market that they had in town where the fishermen would come in and like 
offload their catch yeah. and you could buy dir- directly from them but still you're you're buying things like king crab and halibut which are very expensive anyway so like yeah. it wasn't super cheap there um i did have some patients that were fishermen and i kept a cooler outside of my house and they just come by like in payment uh drop off like crab and halibut and stuff like oh that. okay so you took a lot of payment just through trade gold nuggets dropping fish in the in the the bucket like yeah, if anyone is listening, you know, from the IRS, I claimed all of that. You know, all the fish income. Sure. What sure. do you do with the gold nuggets? Like, They're in a little, I have them in a, a drawer in my house. But could you, like, I guess you could turn those into cash, right? I mean, they're, you they're, could, but like, where are you going to go? We buy gold and like sell it for 50% of what it's worth. Like it has too yeah. much value to me, you know, for the time that I spent up there to, you know, to trade it in for a couple bucks plus guess, the price of gold is down from what it used to be then i guess you could save those for once the economy collapses or something and you're walking around with gold nuggets yeah you're gonna be like a king yeah i mean it's not like a, a tre- treasure chest full of them it's just <laughs> a little like a size of a pill bottle with a couple in the bottom okay so you know nothing crazy but i think it's it was pretty cool you know it was pretty neat to me back then that like you know someone would come in and be like you know what's your what's your fee for an adjustment? Would you take this piece of gold and like yeah. put it on a little scale, and they're like it weighs whatever <laughs> point something of an ounce, uh, which back then was like fifty or sixty dollars worth. Okay, and you'd be like, yeah, sure, sounds I'll, good to I'll me. Take that. Um, they would have to like to turn that into cash. They would have to pay a middleman. Um, so they were you know they were losing a couple percent off of the actual value of it. So it was just easier for everybody involved um yeah to pay with gold a lot of places up there did that they'd have little scales and take gold that's interesting um as far as like alaska goes and you always hear about the depression that people fall into i guess that's why there's quite a few bars i would assume it's just because there's not a whole lot to do did you see a lot of that there did that add like people coming to your practice you know is that like a, a part of the the business uh very like this is very unfortunate but Nome and a lot of villages around Nome have like, this is tough to believe, but like really do have a pretty big population of people that are homeless. Really? Uh, Yeah. So definitely drugs and alcohol play a factor in that. Um, So I don't know. It didn't necessarily like play into my practice so much, except for there were a lot of people in town that were either homeless or were very, very poor and could definitely never afford to like see a chiropractor. Yeah. Um, when so you're homeless, where do you go? After the, the like, shelters. yeah, after like negative 20, they would open up like certain shelters, but people were pretty much on their own wow. above that. It was a big enough like population that it wasn't, it wasn't simple enough to like just have one house with a few beds where people could stay when it got cold. Um, it was a, really a lot of people that they had to account for. Boy, you would never expect that. Was that something that was like, I mean, I'm sure the whole culture shock in general of uh, living there is completely foreign, but seeing that has to be really yeah, shocking. For me, the the thing that hit like hit the hardest was a guy that I knew that worked in the building that my office was in went from being like a functional, you know, um, part of the, the town he had a job um he had a family his his wife divorced him 
uh, kind of took him for everything he had. And he ended up in a downward spir- spiral of like drugs and alcohol and ended up being, you know, being one of those homeless folks. So Man. you see, when you just move there and see it, you're like, wow, this is really unfortunate. But then when you see somebody, you know, like fall in, you know, into that, um, that was, yeah, it's pretty tough. Really unfortunate uh, fact of life up there. It's got to be hard to live in a town of 3,600 people and your wife is like, eh, one of these 3,500 people, I'm going for them. Yeah. You're not the one for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's uh, got to be a crazy situation uh, because there's not that many people unless she moved out of the, the town, I guess, and found somebody else. But That's true. That's true. Um, Nome had a pretty healthy population of, uh, I think, wife and girlfriend swapping and stuff like oh, okay. that you know a little bit of a swinger culture up there alaskan wife swap yeah could be a whole tv show yeah tlc maybe there you go <laughs> discovery channel would pick that up after ice road truckers sure sure i could see it um what what part of alaska do they have the the for the days of light like where it's light for yeah why, what is the what's the name of it so i can't think of what it's called there's the summer and winter solstice and okay. then um so in the winter time, if you're above the Arctic Circle, yeah, um, which Nome was like only 140, like four miles south of, but Fairbanks is very close to. There was a town just north of Nome called Kotzebue that was above the Arctic Circle. Um, so if you're above that Arctic Circle, the sun never peaks over the horizon. You might get some light, but it's kind of like twilight, like sunset or dawn. Okay. Um, but the sun never comes up. The further north you go, like when you get all the way up to the north of Alaska, you don't see any light probably at all. Wow. Uh, but in Nome, we would have at the very least like three or four hours of daylight where the sun would just kind of peak up over the horizon and then it would go back down. Wow. But like for an hour on e- either side of that, you had a little bit of light. So every day, like we didn't have complete darkness you know, 24 hours a day for any period of time. Yeah. But it was still pretty dark most of the time. Um, and then that offers you an opportunity, though, to see the Northern Lights, the Aurora Borealis, which yeah. was um, the first year I was up there was, like, uh, pretty prevalent. And then the second year wasn't really – they weren't that strong. Uh, but they're once now, again, they're, like – it waxes and wanes and it's like up to this period again where the northern lights have like been very very active uh through the you know you can't see them in the summer when the when the sun's shining so Uh then like at the so at the winter solstice at like the darkest days of the year this is specifically for gnome after you pass that date which is like what january 19th or something like that i forget uh you pick up seven minutes of daylight every day until it's like complete sunshine almost 24 hours a day in June, like mid or late June, whenever that happens, the summer solstice. And so that, that cycle's just constantly repeating. Like you, lo- you lose seven minutes of daylight until the winter solstice, and then you gain seven minutes. So it's always changing, which kind of like makes it, you know, keeps you on your toes. Like by the end of March and April in Nome, it's light at like 10 or 11 o'clock still at night. Jeez. Okay. Yeah. So like by that time in the spring, you have more daylight than we would have down here, even uh-huh. though it's still like, you're still in winter. Yeah. It's you know, still it's really still very cold. cold. Yeah. There was just that, I always think of that movie. Uh, was it, I think it was, was it De Niro or Pacino and Robin Williams, that insomnia. 
I don't think I, I saw that one. I think it was shot in Alaska. It was during the, they have like a month of, it's, that never gets dark out. It's okay. light all the time. And he like loses his mind because he can't sleep because it's always light outside. That was easy for me. I just put an eye mask on. Okay. Put yeah. a mask over your eyes. Don't take it off. It's dark. It takes a, you know, a week or two to get used to having something on your face. Um, but I could turn off the lights just like that. Mm-hmm. More of the problem that I had in the summertime was that like, I'd go out fishing, you know, go out into the country, find somewhere where nobody else was around, which you was go by yourself? easy to do. Yeah, most of the time. Um, like, you know, just after work, five or six o'clock, throw my stuff in the truck, head out of town immediately. If I was catching fish and like having a good time, sometimes I wouldn't realize like what time of day it was. Right. And then I'd finally like check if I wore a watch or like pulled out a phone or something like that. You're like, oh man, it's like, two o'clock in the morning the sun's shining you have no idea <laughs> no clue and it's like tuesday so like all right great i have to be at work tomorrow at like seven right. or eight and i have to like i have an hour trek back just to get to my apartment and like get Boy, like ready to go to sleep that like, would mess with your head so yeah i spent a lot of days in the office uh very very tired from you know being out exploring the country and fishing and stuff which is really I mean, I went up there. I had to have a job to go up there, but mm-hmm. it really just financed me uh, getting to spend two years in Alaska and do some pretty cool stuff. Are you a hunter too? I used to hunt uh, when I was in high school. My you know, dad and uncles and uh, one of my grandfathers was real big into it, but uh, I, never, I never really got into hunting as much. Uh, I did like go on some hunts with some people in Alaska, um, but yeah, nothing, nothing really to, to talk about. Uh, having said that, I've, I did get to uh, eat some moose and caribou and like muskox and stuff like that, and it's delicious. I've heard moose is amazing. Yeah, moose is my favorite. Get a moose ribeye; it like hangs off your plate on all sides, um, and is like ten times better than any cut of beef you've ever had. It's like just fatty enough where it's. You know, the fat's like in the meat, not just big hunks of fat and grizzle. Yeah. Uh, it's really, really very good. So after those two years, you thought, I've had enough? I can't I can't do it anymore? Did you have like a contract that ran up or you just yeah. thought it's time to get out of here? Well, I did. I had a two-year contract. And um, at this time, another individual who owns Arctic Chiropractic in Alaska, uh, he bought into that practice. Um, and he was offering me a much longer term contract, like up to 20 years. Oh, geez. Um, yeah, up to, up to 20 years. And the other guy was like, he wasn't too hot on that. The other owner of the business. That's a long contract. Yeah. That's the a... deal was like 20 years. They couldn't, it's tough to get somebody to go there. Yeah. And it's even harder to get someone to stay there. To stay, so like, yeah. it was, it was pretty favorable. Like after 20 years, I was like, I would have been the majority owner of that particular business. Okay. And then I could have done whatever I wanted, retired, sold it, um, whatever. It, it would have been mine, like 60 or 70% of it. Um, but yeah, like till that first two-year contract, that was pretty tough because all my family, all my friends are like back on the East Coast. I'm getting back to Pennsylvania or New York to visit people like very, very infrequently, and those flights are 
also very expensive. <sighs> yeah. Like I long. paid $2,200 to get home for Christmas one year. Is there, like, is there Wi-Fi or internet Yeah, we had, like, sat- satellite internet, okay. which was, like, super slow and super expensive. So I had internet at the office. I never had it at any place I lived up there. Okay. I did cable? Get, I got even... cable one year. It was awful. Really? Yeah. This reception is terrible. Expensive, and uh, I guess they brought, like, they brought DirecTV or Dish up there the second year I was up there, and, like, the guys that brought it up needed to get a certain amount of people to sign up to do it. Yeah. And it was going to be, like, $200 a month or something <laughs> like that. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. Um, so what did you what did you do in the free time then? I mean, yeah, you can't the, watch TV, can't get on the Internet. It seems like today, what else is there to do? Yeah, Read, I did leave like, one thing out. Uh that I forgot about kind of in the winter time, uh, I played on an outdoor, uh, pickup hockey league type type oh, thing. So okay. we had anywhere from like 10 to 20 guys and a couple of women and some like teenage kids that would show up and play pickup hockey games. That's pretty cool. Uh, three days a week. So it was like, uh, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday or something like that. And we, our rule was like, down to anything colder than negative 20 we didn't play but above negative 20 we Good did to go. play yeah and we had a little like heated shack that we'd all like get we'd all bring our equipment in and, and get ready to go and then get out on the ice and uh play these pickup games and we had some guys that like played professional hockey not like in the nhl but like um different leagues all over the world and like in canada or like we're minor in minor minor league affiliates for professional hockey teams Mm -hmm. Uh, and then we had guys that like like me that hadn't skated since they were like five or six yeah uh trying to be out there play so no one took it like really too serious but that was like that was the main like outlet like physical activity um and like socializing and stuff like that curling too you guys play curling at we all? didn't have curling up there okay um but curling has been kind of like i don't, I don't want to say catching on i think it's been catching on for a long time in alaska like anchorage and fairbanks have curling clubs and stuff like that but we didn't have anything like that skiing cross-country skiing any of that or there's people did cross-country ski are there no mountains to ski down uh no one was like barren ground tundra okay so there were some like mountains i guess but like kind of like the mountains are around here like not too tall not too exciting like you know you could ski on a on terrain that was kind of like tussie over here okay but you better have like someone with a snowmobile to tow you back up to the top because right, that yeah. gets old after a while like 30 seconds or a minute of downhill skiing and then a 20 minute, 20 minute back up well climb <laughs> back up um, unless you had someone pulling you back up on, you know, like a snowmobile. So you figured after two years, contracts up, they're coming in. It's going to be a 20 year contract after that. It was time to head back. Yeah. To a friend of mine PA. who was practicing in New York, uh, who was like growing really faster than he could handle. Mm-hmm. He, I was like weighing my options. All right. Do I want to stay in Alaska uh, or do I want to head back East, go somewhere else? Uh, he contacted me like right around that time I was having this like dilemma where, where am I going to be in a couple months, uh, and offered me a job to go to upstate New York, uh, and practice with him. And actually he was doing, he was certified to do like nerve conduction velocity exams, which is basically like, it's a nerve test for people that have arm or leg pain or tingling and numbness in their arms or legs, hands or feet. Um, and most of our patients were referrals from, 
other chiropractors and medical doctors uh, after they were like injured at work or hurt in a car accident. Okay. So I got certified to do that. Um, that was like a 10 month process. In the meantime, I, I took over a small volume, uh, cash chiropractic practice from a guy who, uh, this is also kind of a funny story. Um, well, I guess not funny looking back on it. We can laugh on it now maybe, but he was doing some things that were very unethical in practice Uh and the state board was breathing down his neck and he basically just like dropped it. He cut and run. Um, (laughs) And I don't think they ever pursued him because none of it was like illegal. He just wasn't going to be allowed to practice in New York. He was like, he was sleeping with his patients and his wife who was a massage therapist in that practice caught him. Oh boy. Yeah. So he, she actually contacted a friend of mine who was a chiropractor, not the same guy I was working with. Uh, and this was just like a couple towns over. It's only like 30 minutes from where I lived. Uh, and she said, people are showing up for appointments and calling like the office number. Yeah. And there's nobody here. There's nobody here to treat them. <laughs> she, and she so, asked this guy if he wanted to like buy that practice. And he was like, I, I don't have the capacity to buy that practice right now. He's like, but... I do know a guy who could probably use like uh, use the business if um, if you're willing to work out a deal with him. So that guy was you. Yeah, that was me. So I just paid rent and I went in there and I I picked up all this guy's patients that hadn't at that time like found another chiropractor. Uh, and that was fine, but like we practice with very different philosophies, so like it it wasn't like a really good fit. You know, like I would have never been hired into that position uh, just because of the differences in how that guy practiced to how I practice, you know, like not sleeping with my patients and stuff. like Right. That. Yeah. That's, uh, I guess, your choice. You yeah. Know? Yeah. How do you want to run your business? <clears throat> sure. Maybe that's, you were taking payments in gold. Maybe he was taking payments in another way. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's all a trade. <laughs> so, yeah, it was actually more like, like legitimate right. uh, philosophical sort of reasons, which we can get into if you want. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So you're saying like different sort of practices on a phil- philosophical side. How does that differ from chiropractor to chiropractor? Um, yeah, I'm like a, I'm sort of a black sheep when it comes to chiropractors. It's kind of one of my favorite expressions to use to describe myself. An outlier. Yeah. Chi- other chiropractors don't really like me. Okay. Uh, I'm an evidence-based chiropractor. Uh, I only treat people for things that research, like scientific research, whether it's chiropractic research or it's done like through the medical community um, or other parts of the world uh, where people are are doing studies on spinal manipulation. I only treat people for things that that we have shown chiropractic is effective for. Okay. So like if you've ever talked to a chiropractor, there's a good chance that they've said things like, chiropractic's good for things other than just like neck pain and back pain. Like we can help you like boost your immune function Mm -hmm. or help you like get over coughs and colds. Uh, and that's, that's theory based chiropractic. That's like, it's called subluxation theory. That's where, um, that's the theory that chiropractic was actually founded on, like in the late 1800s back in the day when like people were magnetic healers and like people were doing like bloodletting and Uh, crazy all kinds of like stuff that we know today is just awful chiropractic was founded in that like pseudoscience medical pseudo medical science era and is really stuck like because it's sort of 
very cultist with these subluxation chiropractors. And it's a selling point, right? I mean, you can use that as a selling point. Yeah. And that's where the issue comes in a lot with people who are very skeptical about chiropractors because you you hear all of these bizarre claims and you're like, is that where's the proof? Sure. That actually happens. Maybe on a person-to-person basis, something like that could happen. Possible. It's possible. Yeah. But not necessarily proven. So these folks real. work off of like anecdotal evidence. Yeah, like okay, I right. had a patient that had a cold and I adjusted him and then the next day they felt better. Right. <laughs> and it's like, all right, well, do we that know the that Z-pack. the adjustment? Yeah, exactly. They had a Z-pack for like a week before that. Right. And you just happened to hit them like on the day before like the Z-pack was out and they were supposed to be all better anyway. Yeah. Um, so to like try to describe that theory uh, is quickly as possible and not to like bore everybody listening to this podcast right now subluxation theory says like a bone in your spine is out of place that bone compresses a nerve because your Mm -hmm. nerves go to like all of your organ systems Mm -hmm. basically in your body that whatever organ system that nerve goes to can be dysfunctional or and if that subluxation is there long enough without being adjusted by a chiropractor Mm -hmm. can become diseased so depending on where like an individual chiropractor falls on that sort of spectrum of how much they believe in subluxation. We've heard chiropractors say things like, if you get adjusted your whole life, you're much less likely to have a horrible disease like cancer. Um, And that's a wild, wild claim that's never been substantiated by any evidence. If it does happen to you, great. But to make the claim. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, Yeah, that's saying a lot. So there is like there is a small percentage of our population that's like very open to alternative medicine though yeah. that's really embraced that type of chiropractic. Right. Uh you know like 10% of the population that's open minded to um and I'm not I'm not bashing I'm not throwing acupuncture under the bus here with chiropractic. I can't really speak on that. But like people that uh embrace patients that embrace the, like the alternative chiropractic stuff are also into like you know, not taking medications when their doctor says to take medication because they're going to take like a multivitamin or a B vitamin and go to acupuncturists and do some things that are like very much classified as alternative medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, but chiropractic care, because we have enough evidence and research to support spinal manipulation for like low back pain and neck pain uh, and some types of headaches, um, I I don't necessarily view myself as like an alternative medicine provider. Like I only treat people for those things and I have a really good success rate with my patients um, because I'm not, you know, blowing smoke. I I know reasonably that if they have a mechanical spine problem, that chiropractic care can probably help them. And if it's not helping them after four or six visits, I'm looking for something else, you know, send them to a physical therapist or like give them exercises to do at home change their like ergonomics, like their posture at their workplace and, and things like that. Like really try to identify what's causing the problem, uh, fix like the biomechanical or like postural issue that they're having, uh, and then like adjust their spine until they feel better and release Mm -hmm. them from care. Hopefully they don't need chiropractic like once a month for the rest of their life. I feel like I'm a failure when I have the same patients coming in year after year month, you know, once a month or once every two months, you know, that's not really what I want to see in my practice. What do you, as far as your patients, what do you like to see? Like the time frame for them to be feeling better? 
I start feeling like I'm not doing my job if somebody's been coming in two or three times a week for three weeks and they haven't changed. Okay. You know, like that's that's a short term treatment plan. Uh, if you haven't, if you've made no improvement uh, after, let's say nine visits or twelve visits max, you're probably not going to make an improvement with chiropractic care, and you need something else. So, like at that point, I'm likely to refer somebody like for X-rays. Or refer them back to their primary care and maybe try to get some more advanced imaging like MRI or CT. Mm-hmm. Um, chiropractors can order those things, but the way that insurance is these days, they're much m- more likely to get paid for if their medical providers okay. uh, order them and like have them improved. Um, and again, like there there are many other options. You know, a patient's not getting better, you can send them to like an ortho, an orthopedic doctor. Uh, to potentially evaluate them for something a little bit more invasive or like pain management where they can do injections into the joints to try to like decrease the inflammation and lower the patient's pain level. Mm -hmm. Um, When you first got into chiropractic work, like what inspired you? What made you want to do this? Uh, That's not a great story. Um, (laughs) I'm excited. Yeah. (laughs) I was, I was pretty good at math and pretty interested in science in high school. Um, did really well in all of like the upper level classes, uh, you know, chemistry in high school and uh, trigonometry and calculus. So my teachers all through high school were saying, you need to be an engineer. Like you're an engineer, go to, go to school to be an engineer. So mm-hmm. of course I picked Penn state and started in mechanical engineering and I hated it, man. I did not see like the light at the end of the tunnel at all for that. Like, um, even when you graduate, you're going to work like 60 hours a week you might make good money but like it's a it was like a, a it was really like a quality of life like a work-life balance like i just did not want to be an engineer once i got to see what it was all about okay um so i started looking around you know took a couple classes outside of engineering to try to get a feel for what i might like to do this was in my second year um took an anatomy class or no, just a biology class that like touched on anatomy. And I was like, that's pretty interesting. So then I took anatomy and physiology uh, and I really did enjoy that. And I started looking at like, what can I do with a four-year degree, like with bio, uh, you know, focusing on like anatomy, something related to human health. Mm-hmm. Um, and chiropractic kept coming up. Uh, and my mom and like grandmother and some of my aunts and uncles had been like always going to a chiropractor. Like if they had back pain, they'd go to the chiropractor. They'd feel better in a couple of visits. Then they wouldn't see the chiropractor again for a while. Mm-hmm. So like I viewed chiropractic as like a back pain doctor. Like you're the specialist for back pain. That's really all I knew about it. I didn't have like a personal experience or anything. I think that's pretty common as far as yeah. like your first experience or first thought on chiropractors. Sure, sure. Yeah, a lot of the a lot of the general public that's never encountered a chiropractor would think of a chiropractor as like just a back pain doctor. And I actually prefer that to like people that have been educated by these other like very alternative chiropractors because they haven't had an opportunity to like be poisoned by that right subluxation theory or whatever. Right. Uh, what was I talking about? How I became a chiropractor? What? Yeah. Well, this made you want to do it. Yeah. So I was like really looking at it and a friend of mine came sort of to me at the same time. And he's like, Hey man, this is kind of crazy, but I want to run this by somebody. And you're like one of my closest friends. He's like, I was thinking about being a chiropractor. What do you think about that? I was like, you gotta be kidding me, man. Like I'm looking into that too. 
like individually, uh-huh. exclusively. Uh, you know, we were doing our own separate searches, and my nineteen or twenty year old mind was like, "That's fate, I guess." <laughs> and that was it, man. That's all it took. Boom. A couple of years later, yeah, I was in chiropractic college. So that's interesting. And as as you're in chiropractic college and you go work at Nome, Alaska for two years and all the subluxing and and the alternative kind of chiropractic work, what? Um, because you say you're kind of a black sheep. What set you apart? Like, how did you? How did you come to where you are today? Where you're, yeah. you, you kind of stand apart from, I guess, the norm. You could say so. Um, I went to chiropractic college and again, like my background in high school with like being pretty, pretty good at math and science, you know, reasonably intelligent in those areas. Mm -hmm. Um, I really enjoyed the first year of education because you're in like, you're in anatomy, like cadaver labs, like dissecting humans. Oh, okay. Um, and you're in neuro lab dissecting human brains, um, and learning all the, you know, ins and outs, the intricacies of like, this is how the human body works. And it was, it's crazy. I mean, it was really, really exciting. It's gotta be fascinating. And interesting for me. And like, I didn't do so good, uh, like sitting in class for eight or 10 hours a day, like in lectures Yeah. because that was just boring for me. I was like, I went to chiropractic college. I was 21 years old. So like that was a little bit much, but I was like really, really interested in the science behind it, like all the anatomy and neuro and physiology and everything. I loved it. So then like the second year of college, uh, chiropractic college, they start pounding more of like the theory in the philosophy. Like we had chiropractic art and philosophy classes to like teach you about like, this is, you know, this is the founder of chiropractic. This is the principles that these are the principles that chiropractic was uh, is based on today that okay. was founded back in like the late 1800s or developed like back in the late 1800s and early 1900s. And the more like they tried to push that into our heads and I could see like my cl- a lot of my classmates eating it up and I could see other people that were like, you know, shaking their heads like this is total crap. Yeah. Um, so they pushed that on you in the school. Oh, itself. definitely. Definitely. Uh, they're required certainly to have a certain curriculum like, to be accredited as a chiropractic college, right. you know, they have to maintain certain amount of credit hours and like in the sciences, but then the people that are teaching you in chiropractic college, like a lot of the technique classes and stuff like that are just old chiropractors that are either out of practice or they didn't like, they weren't very successful in their own businesses and teaching at a chiropractic college is basically the only thing left that they could do to make a couple bucks. Isn't that always funny? Sometimes the people who can't quite make it in their own business, the ones who end up teaching. Yeah. I mean, sometimes they're the best teachers, but sometimes they're the worst teachers. Well, yeah, that's an unfortunate reality. Um, I don't think it's like that in a lot of programs that like, that are highly sought after and like for student, like you're not going to go to, you're not going to get into like Harvard to be an attorney. You know, you're not going to give an, get into Harvard law school or like their MBA program and have shitty teachers, but yeah. like, sorry for the language. That's, uh, <laughs> that's perfectly, but it, you could go to a chiropractic college where it's like a hundred percent acceptance. Like they don't turn anybody away. Wow. Uh, but there seems to be so get... many chiropractors. Why you think they'd be a little more picky with who they get? Why, why and, is that? No, because I mean, it's a business. Okay. They're not turning people down because 
they got a, they have a bottom line. Yeah. Ultimately, I don't think they care about what we're doing out here as long as they still like have enough students coming through their programs. Right. Um, yeah, I could, I could go launch off on a tangent there, which I'm going to avoid, but <laughs> okay. it seems like there are so many chiropractors because we're basically like 98 or 99% in private practice. Okay. So it's not like if you, if you go to be a medical doctor, um, you can start a private practice if you want, or you can work in a hospital or in like an orthopedic, like outpatient center or something mm -hmm. like that. Like there aren't medical doctors in every storefront on every block because they're also in hospitals yeah. and, you know, multidisciplinary practices and stuff like that. Whereas chiropractors have fewer opportunities to do that. So like we're almost all in private practice. Uh, so you see us on, in every storefront, on every block, like in every town across America, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess every doctor that has a private practice also works for a hospital too, right? In a lot of cases, they're affiliated with hospitals because they have to have like permissions to be able to like admit patients and, and things like that. But not necessarily, they might not necessarily like work for a hospital, but there are like various types of affiliations, I suppose. Now you can, can you refer somebody to a doctor as part of your practice? That's allowed. Right? Yeah. State college, it's encouraged. That's encouraged. Yeah. State college is tough because there used to be a lot of doctors in private practice. Yeah. But now that like healthcare has changed over the last few years with certain laws that have been passed, um, the big groups like Mount Nittany and Penn State Health, um, Geisinger, they've really like swallowed up a lot of these doctors that were were in private practice. Mm -hmm. uh, and they have these like one-stop shops for all of your health care needs mm -hmm. uh, where like your primary care is in the same place as any other specialist that you need to see. Same place as like the nutritionists and um, the physical therapists. So like they've created these... Um, these centers, these like this environment where like once they get a patient, their goal is to never refer that patient out outside of yeah, that practice because they have everything that they need. They might not have chiropractic care in many of them, uh, but they do have physical therapy, which is, you know, you could physical therapists and chiropractors essentially see the same patients. Okay. So there's a little bit of competition there. So like if you have physical therapy in house, you would do that's conservative care. You would send someone there before you ever send them to a chiropractor. So why is a chiropractor never, or I mean, I guess in some cases they are accepted into that, that situation, sure. like with doctors and physical therapists. Why does that not happen more often? Why are you guys like on the outskirts of the, well, there's still like the stigma attached to the profession where a lot of medical doctors think it's BS, but they think it's BS because they're looking exclusively at like all of the negative things that are happening in the profession. Like, mm -hmm. Basically, to to get a job in a center like that, you have to know somebody that trusts that you're like the right type of chiropractor, like the evidence based, you know, neck pain, back pain, headaches, mm -hmm. uh, competent enough to be able to like refer within their their provider group, mm -hmm. you know, make qualified referrals. So you're not sending somebody like to you know physical therapy that needs to be in surgery tomorrow, you know, like right. has something serious going on, or you're not like ordering unnecessary tests. So like it comes down to like who do you know who did you impress enough over the last few years that's like in a high enough level to make a decision in one of those groups to bring in chiropractic they usually don't just say hey we think we want to add chiropractic like put up a post on like 
monster.com and see what resumes we get. That's not really how it works. You have but to know somebody through the system to, yeah. to get you in. All of that the chiropractors sense. that I know in this area that are in those types of positions had knew somebody that was like in a position of power in those groups that personally brought them in. Like there was never a job opening. Okay. They created it. Uh, so I would, in my practice, like in my career, uh, I always thought that I'd I'd like to be in one of those types of groups, but the more that this private practice, the more I grow here, uh, the more I'm realizing that my income potential will be far greater, like in private practice. And you have freedom too, right? You you kind of have your own yeah freedom, freedom to, to have you come in and do a podcast, you know? For yeah, like this would take a lot of I guess a lot of different Red steps tape, would yeah. need to take place before this sure, could actually sure. happen. Yeah, you um, should give it a shot. See who you can talk to in there. I'm sure you'd get somebody eventually. Yeah. <laughs> Probably one of their HR people or something. But I'm kind of, I'm glad I got in here and talked to you because it's more of a, you know, you're very honest about what you do and you're also very, uh, you're very clear on the dif- differentiating between the different kind of, kinds of methodologies, the philosophies behind chiropractors and how they work and how sure. they operate and what they tell people and their patients. So on your end to to what you do, where does that honesty come from? Where did that all come from where you thought, you know, I can't fall into these, the pseudo kind of yeah. ideas that may or may not be true. Sure. Where, I guess you being analytical, mathematical, being a, more of a research or more of a, you know, proof based practice. Sure. Is that what really drew you towards it? Yeah. I mean, it frustrates me to no end that like there, you could go to a chiropractor that could take an x-ray of your neck and be like, your your neck's a little bit straight. We need to see you like 50 or 60 times. And by the way, your insurance company is not going to pay for that. So like pay it all up front. Right. And that type of practice, like they believe that what they're doing is right, like based off of their like their sure. philosophy, their foundation for what they think chiropractic is. So like yeah. a lot of chiropractors, maybe some of them do realize that they're like, scamming people basically out of enormous sums of money for like selling them care that they don't need but if you're taught this in chiropractic school and you buy you drink the kool-aid you're yeah you're in sure you you believe it i I, maybe at a certain point you think wow this actually isn't the real deal yeah continue with it but so like to just to elaborate a little bit on that point like the question that you asked like how did i become you know how do i sort of maintain the like ethical standards that I do in my own practice. It's like, mm-hmm. it's purely science-based. Um, you know, not that I'd be happy to, to rip people off if I wasn't like, if I wasn't so like, following the science that, su- that supports the profession so closely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's a, a hatred for like all of these negative stereotypes or, or stigmas that sur- surround chiropractic. Like, they exist, but it's completely unnecessary. Like if, if chiropractors would just like look at the evidence and practice based off of what evidence supports, you know, we could eliminate all of, all of the bad, all of the stigma that surrounds it. Like things like once you go to a chiropractor, you always have to go for the rest of your life. Well, no, that's not true. If your chiropractor like identifies the things that are causing the problem in the first place, like helps you more from a rehab standpoint to get over that and releases you from care. That problem is 
potentially done with, you know, yeah. uh, you might have flare ups of back pain from time to time, but it's not like you're going to need to be in the office once a month for the rest of your life yeah. at the tune of like 40 or 50 bucks a pop. Um, so it's really like, I, I do pride myself in like with my, you know, ethical standards, uh, that I follow here, but it's mostly just based on, based on science. I think that's awesome. You're not trying to milk people for money. You're just trying to fix them up and have them feeling better. Yeah. I'm playing the long game here. Definitely. Like if the amount of patients that I've seen in the three plus years that I've been in this particular like business here, Brummer family chiropractic, if I just convinced 25% of them that they needed to be here once a month Mm -hmm. indefinitely, uh, then I'd be all set. Like I wouldn't need to take new patients. Right. Um, but I'm trying to take patients when they're in pain, uh, get them out of pain, release them from care, and then hopefully they're in the community saying, you know, this guy made me better and he's six the real visits, deal. Or like this only cost me a couple hundred bucks. Where like your chiropr- the chiropractor you went to said it was going to cost you a couple thousand. Right. Um, so you're in the more more of the rare field, I guess. That are you more on the? There's not many of you, and there's many more of the the other kind of practices. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to say that like every chiropractor out there aside from me is like trying to rip people off. Right. Um, but any, any chiropractor still subscribing to like subluxation theory with the evidence that we have that says, wait, that doesn't actually exist. Even though they're not like trying to be dishonest or like, you know, dishonest or, or deceitful, um, that type of practice they're going to recommend long-term care plans because they think they're making you healthy, like in the, in the long term. Yeah. Um, so whether it's like an ethical issue or not, where the chiropractor realizes that it's not really effective for what they say it's going to be effective for, Mm -hmm. um, it's still, I think like when I talk to people in the general public, whether they're they're my patients or not, I tell them like, please avoid that. Um, you, you will be sold, uh, an unnecessary care plan or like unnecessary treatments that basically is just a benefit to the chiropractor financially. You're not, you're not gaining any like real, um, measurable health benefit from it. Now, as far as the things that are proven, the chiropractic work actually does help with what is scientifically proven. So there's like, it's healthcare. There's never a guarantee. Like I can't take someone off the street and say, you have you have neck pain, I can fix you in like six visits, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, chiropractic care has been sh- shown to be safe and effective for mechanical, like back pain. Um, mechanical meaning like you move in a certain direction, it hurts, not coming from an organ, like being referred from an organ system somewhere okay. in your body. Uh, so back pain, uh, neck pain, and certain types of headaches. Uh, some correlation to like helping migraine headaches um, and some to like what we would, what people would consider tension headaches, but are actually called cervicogenic headaches. Cervicogenic uh, just meaning like muscles or joints in your cervical spine that refer pain into your head. So you feel like you have a headache in your forehead or like at the base of your skull, but it's really coming from the muscles and the joints in your neck. That's the main thing. But also, um, like if you have something going on in your neck that's causing you to have like referred pain down your arm or tingling and numbness in your arm or hand, that could be a problem that a chiropractor would at least be able to evaluate, maybe be able to treat depending on like where that nerve is being compressed or irritated. 
And as far as people who come in here, you take a look at somebody, say that they have that pain or something along those lines. Are you the kind of guy, like if you you think I'm not going to be able to help this person, you kind of send them on their way, tell them to go somewhere else? Yeah, to... I tell everybody when I'm doing the exam, uh, we have to, to determine that your pain is mechanical in nature to justify treating you. So like if we do, if I'm testing range of motion in your back and it hurts when you rotate to the right, tell me that so I can report it. It's going to help me like for my, my diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes people have back pain. Um, just to, just as one example, like you could have back pain that feels like your, your lumbar spine, your low back is, uh, is causing the problem, but really it could be like a kidney infection okay. or a bladder infection or something yeah. like that, or something even much more serious. Like there's a lot of diseases and pathologies, um, that make us feel like our back hurts, but it's just radiating pain from some, some from something much more organic. Right. That's, and that's the case, I guess, where you get a lot of people, a lot of chiropractors who think, or I mean, whether they think it, they believe it, or they're just doing it because they know they can make some money off of it, yeah. they'll still treat that person sure. and keep them coming back week after week without much of a difference in the person's results. Absolutely. And that ends up giving them a... I, I often wonder, like, does that give the chiropractor himself or herself a bad name? Or is it just, you know, they the person who comes in who, who gets this... Some people love just going to the chiropractor. They love feeling the crack of the back, which I do. I mean, I, feeling that that relief is that there's like a tension relief in that in sure. itself. Uh, maybe it's just psychological. So I think some people get that out of it and they just kind of go every week because it feels good. Not necessarily that it's actually fixing anything. There's a, definitely a psychological component attached to like any healthcare. Honestly, like if you go into something feeling like, like you have it built up in your mind, like this is going to be good for me. Yeah. It's going to be good. shown for you. that that, yeah, like, those people have a, a better outcome. The placebo effect. Exactly. The placebo effect is very real, but it's not just real for chiropractors. It's real like across the board. I mean, we've, uh, they've done studies that show like there's pl placebo effect with surgeries, spine surgeries, knees, you know, all kinds of stuff. So, mm -hmm. um, the placebo effect isn't something that's like exclusive to chiropractic. You can't write off spinal manipulation because of it. Uh, and it, it is important. It does play a role. Um, but to like give you one example of uh, a patient that I had recently while you were talking, I kind of thought of this. Uh, I had a patient here just a, like a month ago, uh, sometime mid-June, uh, came in because her complaint, literally, this is what she told me, every joint in my body hurts. I hurt everywhere, like even to the touch. Like my, if you touch my elbow right now, that hurts. If you touch my hip right now, that hurts. Like everything hurts. That sounds like RA or something like that. Yeah, so you're already smarter than the chiropractor that she went to 22 times before she came to me for a second opinion. So she went to a chiropractor in town, was not in her network. She had like she had good insurance. This person wasn't in her network. $60 a visit, 20 however many times, 21, 22 times. Uh eventually, you know, she got sick of not getting any better. Uh and she came into me for a second opinion. I didn't treat her once. I sent her uh immediately uh, back to her primary care doctor and I, with a note, like, this is the evaluation that I did. Uh, please get her, like you said, an appointment with a rheumatologist or even an ortho, somebody like get the ball rolling on this mm -hmm. to try to figure out what's going on. And, uh, 
I haven't heard back from her because sometimes in the medical world, these things take a little while. Like you have the exam, then the appointment to follow up to get the results from that exam is like a month or so. But she said uh, the rheumatologist that she saw mentioned like the early indication was that it is some sort of like inflammatory type of arthritis, like uh, RA or um, there, there are a number of different things, even could be like something like Lyme's disease. Uh, so basically she got fleeced out of a couple thousand bucks uh, for basically nothing Yeah, for not basically nothing, like literally nothing because of the chiropractor. I mean, even if you do know you can help somebody, you wouldn't think you could really relieve all the pain in their body. Right. That's like, that's pretty, yeah, it's pretty big when someone comes to me and especially like that's sort of an exaggerated, uh, example. Like it's not always like that, but, um, when something seems systemic and not like, Focal or localized to one or two joints or a couple like different areas, um, then I'm immediately thinking like this isn't a mechanical issue. This person needs to be evaluated by someone else first. Now, having said that, like her seeking chiropractic care, even though she spent a bunch of money she didn't need to spend up like in the other office, and then finding me was not to pat my own back too much here, but like that's that's a step that she hadn't gotten through all of the medical professionals, like her, her primary care doctor and any other like provider that she had seen over the last few years while she was having these issues, like up to 10 years ago, they sort of dropped the ball on that in the first place. Maybe if they figured it out right off the bat, she wouldn't have been searching, spending thousands of dollars and falling into that. Well, I think that's really important, man. I I like that. That's what your practice is all about. And I think that, uh, you know, it seems like you're doing a good thing in the community. If people want to, find you if they want to find Bremert Family Chiropractic online where can they find it again and the, the locations so they can check it out yeah so I'm in State College uh, in Cato Park behind the Honda dealership it's uh, 3051 Enterprise Drive my website is uh, BremertChiropractic.com you can find me on Facebook um, phone number is 814-777-1558 it's uh I think all the places people can can get in touch with me. Cool, man. Well, thank you a lot. Thank you a lot, Dr. Brummer. This has been very interesting, and uh, I think a lot of people who listen to this will get a lot out of it because you're very honest and you're very uh, forthcoming and straightforward with the actual facts and not the the pseudoscience. Yeah, I hope I didn't rail on that too hard. I thought it was interesting. I think it's important to hear because that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you. One part was the Alaskan story, but also the part that you're very honest about the practice itself. So thanks for doing that. Any other chiropractors out there listening today, you know, you can give me a call. We'll discuss it. I'll teach Bring you a little it. bit of the science. We should do a, you know, a, a battle cast where you two battle each other. Oh, man. <laughs> that, would, that wouldn't be pretty for, for another non-evidence-based you know, chiropractor. Right. It wouldn't go well for them, I'm sure. <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks. You. Thank you. It's been fun. That's brutal.